Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. No One Likes Us Clothing is the clothing range designed by Millwall fans for Millwall fans. Caps, t-shirts, polos, they've got it all. Visit noonelikesus.co.uk for the full range. Or if you're in Bermondsey on a match day, why not have a pint in the Blue Anchor pub and pick up a Nolu polo shirt, Nolu clothing at www.noonelikesus.co.uk. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Nick and Neil's Summertime History Show. Big welcome to Neil Fisler. Thanks for coming on the show, Neil. Hello, Nick. How you going, mate? How you going? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Um, our, both of our eyes were caught by this um, name that appeared on Twitter the other day. Um, it was to do with the um, the anniversary, the July the 1st anniversary of the Battle of the Somme. Um in one of the most horrendous battles in, in the First World War, huge casualties on uh, on all sides, including the British side, uh, British and Commonwealth side. And the name of George King popped up now, didn't it? A Scottish footballer. And I, I must admit, I, I, um, I hadn't seen his name. I hadn't realised that he'd played for the Millwall Athletic prior to the start of the First World War, as well as Burnley and Sunderland. And, and we thought it might be um, a nice idea just to mark the obviously the battle itself but also george king's name because i i don't think he's named on the the official war memorial there's a the, the club have a, a a bronze plaque and i don't think it's one of the names on there i could be wrong so um correct me if i'm wrong listeners but i haven't seen his name previously and it just really stuck out at me um he was actually killed on the first day of the battle of the sun george king yeah what happened was it quite i I've been uh, I've been updating my Millwall Who's Who book, and we've added thirty or forty amateur players from right at the start of Millwall's history. And uh, I think I've stumbled across a potential player that died in World War One. So I went onto Twitter, and uh, I spoke to a guy called Jeff Williamson. I think he's called who's the World War One football historian yeah. and uh, asked him about this guy. Uh, he, there's a little bit more work to do to actually prove that he was the Millwall player. Right. Then a couple of days later, he tagged me in on the on July the 1st, I think it was, on George King, who was a player that I was aware of. Okay. Because of his, yeah, mainly because of his controversial 
nature of his transfer to Millwall, but he was born in Teeling, I think, I think I'm right in pronouncing that, in Angus, which is nestled in the foot of the Sidlow Hills, Sidlow Hills, which is just north of Dundee. Uh, which was a fertile train, uh, recruitment ground for us for an awful Well, life. I was just going to say, we, we took a lot of players from the um, that part of Scotland, didn't we? I mean, this would be via, I guess, uh, the, the, the great name of Bob Hunter, who was himself a Scot. And he had an ability to find and unearth talented players from his home, his home turf. And uh, I'm guessing that George would be one such player that came to us via... Bob Hunter, I imagine. I can't. I can't think who else would have would have found him. Uh, quite possibly, uh, but we also had scouts up there, and there was obviously there was a strong Millwall connection right. with players from up there. So, but this guy, he actually started off. He wasn't actually signed from a Scottish club, so it's quite possible that we heard about him when he. Method. Okay, right. Yeah, when he either played for Sunderland. He played for Sunderland Albion, which is a forerunner of what we now know as Sunderland AF. Right. Okay. Uh, then played for Burnley in the first division. Joined them in May 1892. Sunderland Albion in 1890, and he's gone to first division Burnley um, in the Football League, May 1892. Um, that was a that was a major move for him. I mean, for, you know, the Football League was increasingly becoming a powerhouse, wasn't it? It was becoming the dominant league in these years. So that was quite a move, you know, in, into the big time for him. Yeah. And then when Millwall actually, we turned professional in December, 1893. And uh, the Southern League was formed and Fred Kidd, who was our manager back then, obviously before then we were just local players and amateurs. Yeah. And so we had to up our game slightly. So off he set to build a side capable of playing against the best teams in the South. And there were some very strong teams in the South, obviously. Uh, yeah, we played Woolwich Arsenal. I think Tottenham were in yeah. the Southern League and teams like that. And uh, so he brought in seven Scot Scottish players. Of Obviously, Scotland, uh, yeah, but a lot of Scottish players were professional. Yeah. They were teams being the best, yeah, were the best players back then. Uh, so... So in came uh, George King, a right half, and signed for Millwall in June 1894. But that's when it starts to get interesting in true Millwall. Well, this is, in true Millwall fashion, it's a messy transfer, isn't it? Um, so I'm just reading from Neil's notes here, listeners. Um, so yeah, George George King signed for us in June 1894. Um, Burnley apparently had told him he wasn't a part of their plans, and he was given a week's notice, um, and then Mill signed him on. Um but apparently, because he'd signed with Burnley uh, for the 1894-5 season before a change of rules, it meant that Burnley still held his registration and were allowed to seek a fee for him. Now, that, seeking a fee from Mill would have been something he probably didn't want to pay. <laughs> and I imagine that's going to be that's going to be part of the problem. Yeah, um, but that's something of a shock back then, because obviously, yeah, you were giving your contract in uh, July. Yeah. And it ran through to May, and the club decided that they either wanted to keep you, uh, keep you but sell you, or release yeah. you. But I think there was a change of rules that summer which brought that system in. But because he joined Burnley 
the season before that, it, it well, it actually signed a two-year contract. Right. So even though they didn't want him and they gave him a week's notice, they still held his registration. Clubs used to wield great power back then. I mean, the the the, the rights and abilities of players to move were not on the modern scale, where you know a contract ends and, and they move on. But they still they still had quite a bit of sway over players, didn't they? At this point, yeah, well, it was slavery in effect. Mm. They talk, yeah, well, it was the old master and servant, wasn't it? You had the boardroom and uh, yeah, told you what to do, and and uh, you jolly well had to get on with it. You go do it. Um, we were put in a bit of a pickle, though, um, because Burnley still held his registration, so to cut a long story short. Um, but if we tried to register him, despite him signing with us, the FA would then ask, well, would require us to explain why we've approached a player who was still registered with a, with a league club, which could have meant, as Neil said earlier on in this show, um, a boycott. We would, people, uh, the clubs would have refused to have played us from league clubs. And we couldn't arrange friendly games. Um, we'd have been we'd have been outcast from the game. Not not for the, the last time. <laughs> Certainly, <not. laughs> but that could have happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just it was just friendlies, as we've said on previous shows, were very lucrative, especially against football league clubs. Yeah, because you had to pay the wages, and uh, they were semi well paid. Yeah, but I doubt the however many shillings or whatever it cost to go into a ground covered the wage bill and you wouldn't have had corporate hospitality and pro no, no. Uh, refreshments, I guess. So, so they actually arranged midweek friendlies because it suddenly wasn't played. So this would have been quite a sanction on us um, if, if it had come to that. Um, the FA called an emergency committee to decide the matter which uh, allowed King to play for Millwall, and he made his debut in 1894, I see. Um, a 6-0, a 9-0 victory <laughs> against Swindon Town. 6-0 up at half-time. You don't get games like that anymore, Neil, do you? Yeah, you'd still have people complaining, yeah, that we hadn't scored 10 and we're taking our foot off the gas in the second half. I think Jimmy Wilton scored four goals that day. Scottish won the end September. I mean, I think the FA have slightly thrown their hands up and said a plague on both your houses. In the October, Mill was censured by the FA and Burnley were ordered to transfer George King properly. So I think there's a slight sense of um, slaps on the knees for both clubs there, really, and maybe uh, you know a sense of time being taken on a matter that should have been sorted out privately, perhaps. Yeah, but a little bit later, of course, uh, if a club held on to your registration... Players actually did move into the Southern League. Yeah, as a way to get around the regulations. Different league, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you weren't. And uh, but George King was quite a prominent player in the early Millwall history. He won the Southern League twice, and he won the Western League twice in his four seasons on the East Ferry Road. Represented the Southern League. Yeah. And uh, but departed the, the you know the Dockers as we were known back then with Willie Jones to play for Ride on the Isle of Wight. Only you know, only at Millwall could have yeah you can lose a player to ride on the Isle of Wight. Well, he worked as a general labourer. I think only at Millwall do you move out of a, a successful football career and finish up on the Isle of Wight as a labourer. Um, there we are, George. He, also, he returned to Sunderland, I see here, becoming a carpenter's labourer for the River Weir Commissioners. 
Um, as with so many men of his of his era, uh, though Neil, the First World War offered a kind of a route out of um, hard labour in a sense, although it was, there was a hard route that you were taking. He joined the the twentieth Tyneside Scottish Regiment of Northumberland Fusiliers at the outbreak of war. Um, quite, you know, just looking at his age. I mean, you, you, war is a, is a young man's. Um, pursuit if that's the right way to put it but he was he was he was of an age i mean he was born in 1869 so that would have made him like he's, he's 46 when he when he would um pass away that's that's old for battle fighting um yeah nowadays i don't think it would be allowed to happen would it unless you, you'd get through all of the young men first and then you'd move yeah on. unless you're in desperation days i mean i know obviously at the uh conclusion of the second world war the uh, nazi germany were reduced to signing youngsters and, and the old the elderly because they'd used up the uh the mid-range age groups um but to be in the battle of the somme at the age of 46 is well it was would have been um hard um obviously the battle of the somme in itself listeners those that uh, hopefully, there's every, everyone would have heard of it, but you never know. Um, was one of the most horrendous battles of the First World War from the the British and, and uh, Commonwealth perspective. Um, Fifty seven thousand four hundred seventy killed, wounded, or captured. Um, I think the first day of the Somnial was was the biggest single loss of life in one in one occasion. I, I had an idea there was nineteen thousand killed on, on on the opening. Day or it was, it was some huge number. I don't have to check the numbers, but it was a massive, massive loss. Made all the more poignant because this was the first um, of the of the conscript army's battles. The, the the opening phase of the First World War consisted consisted largely of volunteer um, soldiers, um, and that had been used up largely in the early battles. And there was a need and a controversy for that matter as to whether the country should conscript young men into the army and the decision was taken they would do but of course you can't go from civilian life to being able to fight in and, and, and win a battle without training so there was a long period of conscription and then training i think it was called kitchener's army which was the one that took the field on the 1st of july 1916 um sadly the the tactics weren't up to the realities of, of trench warfare and many many died in the opening hours of, of, of that battle including george king um and i mean as we've said this a few times now i think part of the reason that we both want to do these shows is to give a voice and remember names that otherwise would be would be lost because I, I, I will genuinely admit listeners I, I didn't know george's name until i saw it pop up on on twitter and i didn't know that he had a mill connection um and it's a bit of an honour to be able to do it, really, Neil, to be able to mention his name and, and to, to remember the um, the lives and the sacrifices these men made. Yeah, well, they're brave. Yeah, they're brave beyond words, aren't they? Well, absolutely. I'm, yeah, absolutely. Remember them every year, don't we? But uh, but when you get tagged into it and then you start... I, well, yeah, well, I was aware of George King right. through the controversy of his transfer move. Uh, but the age of forty-six, you'd almost be 
thinking about putting your feet up. <laughs> well, you would do, I mean, especially back then. I mean, another another harsh reality is that life expectancy for the average working class man then was a lot less than what it would be. Now, in fact, one of the strange ironies of uh, military life was that many of the guys that joined up were actually better fed, better clothed, and better housed in, in the army than they were in their in their regular lives back in, you know, the industrial towns and cities of, of, of home. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why many did join. Um, having done a little bit of family history on, on, on my account, you can see this process where men of, of all of our families, every single person listening to this show, I guarantee, will find people in their family that have joined up for those reasons that it was um i mean as much patriotism as it was a desire for regular money and food and lodging and clothing and you know this is this was this was the driving force behind many many people's decisions to join up and you know obviously it's a, it's a personal thing in the end but that's 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 what drove many many people yeah there's also a sense of shame if you didn't do it you were yeah it. yeah yeah, you were actually expected to do your duty, weren't you? And uh, and you were almost shunned, outcast, wouldn't? Yeah, um, it's it's a strange it's a strange thing. I think you're right. This the social pressure. I mean, they recruited at football grounds. There's a famous poster that I think we've all seen at various points. The uh, the famous one, "Men of Millwall, the enemies." Um, <clears throat> I can't remember they put it now. The enemy was at the gates, join up, something of that kind. It was it was very much. Wasn't it or something? Something like of those lines, yeah. Um, and I think there was a sense that you didn't want to be the one that let the side down in some ways, that team mentality. I suppose they played on that. Um, and that, that, I mean, it's, it's both uplifting and tragic all in, in, in one go, I suppose. Um, and the, the, the Battle of the Somme is probably the, the very epitome of the First World War. If you ask what most people what um, the First World War looked like, you would say something like the Battle of the Somme. Um, interestingly, for anyone that does look into the battles of the First War, um, if, eventually tactics would evolve. And eventually, the what, I think there's a famous phrase that, that our troops were lions led by donkeys. Eventually, enough lessons were learned for it to become one of the most efficient fighting forces, I think, um, certainly in that conflict and, and, and since, because the battles at the end of the war were were decisive. The Germans were roundly defeated in the end on the field of battle. And you don't do that unless you've learned some pretty hard lessons. And the likes of George King and, and many, many others were unfortunately the, the price that, that had to be paid, some might say. Um, easy for if, if you're not the person paying the price, I suppose, to say that. But um, there we are. George King, I think it's worth remembering his name. 1869 to 1916, died, place of death, the Somme in France. R.I.P. George King. Big thank you to Neil Fisler for joining for this. This is a slightly, slightly somber show, but I think you have to you have to remember these, these names. There's a picture of George I found on, online. I'll put that out with this particular edition. Big thank you, Neil Fisler, for joining me on the show, mate. No problem at all, mate. Speak to everybody again in a few days. It's Nick and Neil's Summer Millwall History Show. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 